Hello and welcome to the Total Entertainment Podcast with me, Paul Collis. And today we're going to be taking a look at Billy Idol in the uh, Cardiff International Arena. Formerly known as the Moser Point Arena, which was formerly known as the Cardiff International Arena. So if you got a bit confused, it's back to how it should be. Anyways, that being said, today's show for Billy Idol is a uh, four-truck show. It's moderately small. Each truck had uh, an aspect on there, so you had a video truck, you had a lighting truck, you had a sound truck, and an everything else truck. So, lighting-wise, they've got two lighting bars, a back bar, which is up... No, three lighting bars, sorry. You've got two on stage, and you have the points put in for the front of house bar. So three lighting bars in total. So front of house one, which is the only one, they're currently uh, under the. It's currently under the. Uh, it's currently under construction, but bars two and three, which is basically stage one and stage two, they've got more phases pointing into the audience. I'm not sure if the LED ones or traditional ones, and you have a handful of spot units and wash units. Video at the back is uh, being built as we speak, so the video screen spans the entirety of the stage and it's getting slowly winched up as they're building each layer, so they switch the screen on to start with and then they put each panel on. The reason they do that is so if there is a problem with a panel as it goes on, they can take a damaged panel off and then put the next and put the next section in. Now, the last thing you want to do is build the entire screen, not test it, and then have a dead panel right in the middle of the screen. So that is why it's done in this manner, and it's obviously winched up layer at a time. So the bottom layer is always at working height so you're not going you're not overreaching above you you're not going down below to do your back in and you're not damaging the screen as it gets winched up bit by bit currently you have the line arrays in the air so stage left and stage right are too wide and 12 deep and Sat a little bit back and 45 degrees outwards, stage left and stage right, you have the um, smaller line arrays to give a surround sound effect. You have some front fills on stage at the moment, but they've not set the uh, subs in, and I would assume that those will go on once front of house bar is up in the air and, and they're not forklifting uh, equipment onto the stage. Currently there are some uh, freestanding lighting trusses getting fought onto the stage. So these are just going to be positioned probably at the sides or at the back. I'm not sure if they're going to be building them into bars and flying them. But for me these look like they stay on the ground of the stage. And with the height of the lights on these uh, freestanding trusses they're about 6 foot high. Actually I'd say more 7 foot yeah more seven foot high and they'll be put into position around the set and locked into position right we're going to take a quick break but we'll be back shortly and i'll continue on how the rest of the uh, loading is going we'll be back after this 
So not only does Master X Media have a series of podcasts, but we also have a series of books. The first book is actually two books, it's volume one and volume two, of a tribute to working at sea. The best fiction is based on truth. This is a compilation of short stories, rants and poems loosely based on the author's experience at working on a cruise ship. Some of these stories are based on actual events but highly exaggerated, whilst other stories are pure fiction. The title of the book A Tribute To is fitting with the tone of the book because, like a tribute act, it is a blatant altered reality where you can enjoy it knowing it's not quite the truth. There are things of alcoholism which used to be highly prevalent within workers in the cruise industry, as well as stories with a sexual nature. So sit down, relax and enjoy the ride of A Tribute to Working at Sea Volumes 1 and 2. All of these books are available on Amazon and are available in paperback and on Kindle. And the links for all these books are in the description below. And we're back. So, at the back of the stage, you have the uh, screen which is now fully complete. It's as high as the uh, grid and as wide as the stage, and it's looking pretty sweet actually. It's not a translucent screen, but it is definitely a high def uh, pixel screen. Then, uh, just before that, you have a nice little walkway bridge. It's about two meters high off the stage and it's got two staircases, stage left, stage right and an access one, extreme stage left by the quick change area. Yes, he has a quick change area on stage. In front of the stage you have five sets of subs and they're three wide. And on top of uh, the middle subs you've got a uh, set of front fills uh, which are uh, one point in stage left, uh, 45 degrees, one point in flat out, and one point in stage right, 45 degrees. You've also got what's known as a glaciator in the pit that's going to go with its um, ducting that goes straight in the on the centre stage mark. Now, a glaciator is like a low fog smoke machine. So all the, fo all the fog is that cold, it just hangs around the floor. It's a nice little effect. You would have seen it many a times without even realising. And as you can hear right now, they're starting to do the sound check. That's the Billy Idol's drummer just making sure that his drums are now tuned. And other than that, the whole setup is ready to go. We'll be back after this. The War of Carnarvon Crescent by Paul Collis from Master X Media. When a neighbourhood dispute explodes into an all-out war. So Chaz Bruford, his wife Ellie and their young daughter Aurora move into Carnarvon Crescent. They soon become aware of the troublesome next door neighbour who makes a point of living in her house for over 50 years. From the moment Chaz arrived and began to unload, his new neighbour takes an instant disliking to him and she goes out of her way to make Chaz and his family feel unwelcome. The animosity quickly spirals out of control from both parties and the mutual respect gets lowered right into the gutter from the outset. Chaz comes to realise that this is not just any war, it is a neighbourhood war to end all wars. This book is available to buy on Amazon and this book is available on hardback, paperback and Kindle. 
This book is pure fiction and should not be used as a user manual. So, William Michael Albert Broad, born 30th November 1955, known professionally as Billy Idol, is a British-American singer, songwriter and musician. He first achieved fame in the 1970s, emerging from the London punk rock scene and was the lead singer of the group Generation X. Subsequently, he embarked on a solo career which led to international recognition and made Idol a lead, lead artist during the MTV-driven Second British Invasion in the United States. The name Billy Idol was inspired by a school teacher's description of him as being Idol. Idol began his music career in the late in the late 1976 as a guitarist in the pop rock band Chelsea. However, he soon left the group with his former bandmate Tony James. Idol formed Generation X. With Idol as the lead singer, the band achieved success in the United Kingdom and released three studio albums on Chrysalis Records, and then they disbanded. In 1981, Idol moved to New York City to pursue his solo career in collaboration with guitarist Steve Stevens. His, de his debut studio album, Billy Idol in 1982, was a, was a commercial success with music videos for singles Dancing With Myself and White Wedding. Idol soon became a staple on the newly established MTV. Idol's second studio album, Rebel Yell, in 1983, that's a good year, was a major commercial success featuring, his, featuring hit singles Rebel Yell and Eyes Without a Face. The album was certified double platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA, for shipments of 2 million copies in the US. In 1986, he released Whiplash Smile, having accumulated three UK top 10 singles, which were Rebel Yell, White's Wedding and Money Money. Idol released a 1988 Greatest Hits album titled Idol Songs, 11 of the Best. The album went platinum in the United Kingdom and Idol then released Charmed Life in 1990 and the concept album Cyberpunk in 1993. Idol spent the second half of the 1990s focused on his personal life out of the public eye. He made a musical comeback with the release of Devil's Playground in 2005 and again with Kings and Queens of the Underground in 2014. So currently his live band are himself as lead vocals, Steve Stevens on the lead guitar, keyboard, backing vocals, so uh, 1981 to 1987 and 1993, 1995 and 1999 till, uh, to, and to the present. You have Stephen McGrath on uh, bass and backing vocals from 2001 until now. Billy Morrison, rhythm and lead guitar and backing vocals since 2010 to now. Eric Eldenus on the drums, which was, and he was in the band from 2012. And Paul Trudeau on keyboards, rhythm guitar, backing vocals since 2014. So the former members are Phil Fett on bass, Steve Massell who did drums, Greg Grierson on uh, drums, Judy Dozer on keyboard, Steve Webster on bass, Tommy Price on drums, Kenny Aronson on bass, Susie Davis on keyboards and backing vocals, Mark Youngersmith who did the lead and rhythm guitar, Phil Sosson on bass, Larry Seymour on bass, Tal, Tal Bergham on drums, 
Bonnie Hayes keyboards and backing vocals, Jennifer Blackman who did who did keyboards, Julie Grex on keyboards, Danny Saddam Wink on drums, Mark Shulman on drums, Sasha Kurt Kurvstov on bass, Brian Titchy on drums, Jeremy Colson on drums and Derek Sheridan on keyboards. Idol has never married but had a long-term relationship with English singer, dance and former hot gossip member Perry Lister. They have a son, William Wolf Broad. William Wolf Broad. He was born in Los Angeles in 1988. William has William has a mem- has been a member of the rock band Fem. Lister and Idol separated in 1989. Idol also has a daughter, Bonnie Blue, from a relationship with Linda Mathis. On the 6th of February 1990 in Hollywood, Idol was involved in a serious motorcycle accident that nearly cost him his leg. He was hit by a car when he ran a stop sign whilst riding home from a studio one night, requiring a steel rod to be placed in his leg. Shortly prior to this, film director Oliver Stone had chosen Idol for the role of, of Jim Morrison's drinking pal Cat in the film in his film The Doors, but accidentally but the accident prevented him from participating in a major way, and Idol's role was reduced to a small part. He had been James Cameron's first choice for the role of villainous of the villainous T one thousand in Terminator two Judgment Day. The role was recast as a result of the accident. Oh, I did not know that. Idol had struggled with alcoholism and drug addiction. His drug history includes heroin and cocaine. In his 2014 memoir, he stated that he had many experiences of passing out in nightclubs and waking up in hospitals. In 1994, Idol collapsed outside a Los Angeles nightclub due to an overdose of the drug GHB. Oh, Jesus Christ. After the incident, Idol decided that his children would never forgive him for dying of a drug overdose and he'd ceased his drug use. In 2014, Idol Idol stated that he had not taken hard drugs since 2003 but added he had smoked marijuana regularly and was an occasional drinker. In 2018, Idol became an American citizen during a ceremony in Los Angeles whilst retaining his British citizenship. In 2020, Idol's daughter Bonnie gave birth to his first grandchild, a daughter, Poppy Rebel, and in 2020, another granddaughter, Mary Jane. So his discography is Billy Idol in 1982, Rebel Yell in 1983, Whiplash Smile in 1986, Charmed Life in 1990, Cyberpunk in 1993, Devil's Playground in 2005, Happy Holidays in 2006, and Kings and Queens of the Underground in 2014. His EPs are Don't Stop in 1981, White's Wedding in 1982, The Roadside in 2021, and The Cage in 2022. Right. So now we've heard a bit about um, Billy Idol. Let's go straight onto his uh, onto his supports, which are Killing Joke and Toya. So we'll start off with Killing Joke. Killing Joke are an English rock band from Notting Hill, London, England, formed in 1979 by Jazz Coleman on the vocals and keyboards, and Paul Ferguson on drums, and Georgie Walker on guitar with Youth on the bass. Their first album, Killing Joke, was released in 1980. After release of Revelations in 1982, bassist Youth was replaced by Paul Raven. The band achieved mainstream success in 1985 with both the album Nighttime and the single Love Like Blood. The band's musical style emerged from the post-punk scene and stood out due to their heavier approach and has been cited as a key influence on industrial rock. 
their style evolved over many years and at times incorporating elements of gothic rock gothic rock synth pop and electric and electronic music often bearing walker's prominent guitar and gold and coleman's savage savagely strident vocals Killing Jake had influenced many later bands and artists such as Metallica, Nirvana, Nine Inch Nails and Soundgarden. Although Coleman and Walker have been the only constant members of the band and the current lineup now features all four original members. Killing Jake have inspired artists of different genres. They have been name checked by several heavy metal and rock bands such as Metallica and Soundgarden. Metallica covered the, covered the weight and James Hetford picked Coleman as one of his favourite singers. Soundgarden cited them as one of their main influences whilst they started playing. Helmets covered Primitive in 1993. Faith No More stated that all of their all of their members liked the group, qualifying them as a great band. Walker style inspired Kurt Cobain's work with Nirvana, according to Bill Janowitz of All Music. With the use of a metallic sound mixed with shimmering chorus effect, Foo Fighters and Nirvana's drummer uh, Dave Grohl covered Requiem in 1997. Metal bands Fear Factory covered Millennium in 2005. Jane's Addiction said that the group was one of their influences. Singer Perry Farrell was inspired by the percussive and tribal aspects of their music. The band had inspired many several bands including Nine Inch Nails and Ministry. They have been cited by Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails' lead singer who mentioned his interest in the earlier material and said that he had studied their music. Al Jorgensen of Ministry described himself as a big fan of the group. Marilyn Manson listened to them during his formative years. Godflesh frontman Justin Broderick was uh, particularly influenced by their re early releases containing dub versions. The group has been cited by alternative music acts such as My Bloody Valentine and LSD Sound System, shoegazing guitarist and composer Kevin Shields of My, Body My Bloody Valentine mentioned the band and specifically praised Walker's touch which he described as this effortless plane producing a monstrous sound. In 2002, James Murphy of the dance punk band LCD Sound System sampled the music of Change in his debut single Losing My Edge. So the current members and the original members are Jazz Coleman, Paul Ferguson, Geordie Walker and Youth. The former members are Paul Raven, Martin Atkins, Dave Taff Ball, Jeff Dugmore and Ben Colvert and additional musicians that they would take out as in session musicians are Dave Kovakovic on keyboard, Jimmy Copley on drums, John Bechdel on keyboard, Nick Hollywell Walker on keyboard, Dave Gregory on bass, Dave Grohl did the drums from 2002 to 2003. Mm, very interesting that. Ted Parsons on drums, Reza Erdhin on keyboards, and and Roy Robertson on keyboard. So here's their discography. The studio albums are Killing Joke in 1980, What's This For in 1981. Revelations in 1982, Fire Dances in 1983, Nighttime in 1985, Brighter Than a Thousand Suns in 1986, Outside the Gate in 1988, Extremities, Dirt and Various Repressed Emotions in 1990, Pandemonium in 1994, Democracy in 1996, Killing Joke in 2003, 
Hosanna's from the basements of hell in 2006. Absolute Descent in 2010. MMXII in 2012. And Pylon in 2015. Right. Well, now we've heard about Killing Joke. We're going to go straight into Toya's background. So, Toya Ann Wilcox, born in, on the 18th of May 1958, is an English musician, actress and TV presenter. In a career spanning more than 40 years, Wilcox has had, up, has had eight top 40 singles, released over 20 albums, written two books, appeared in over 40 stage plays and 10 feature films, and voiced and presented numerous TV shows. Between 1977 and 1983, she, she fronted the band Toya before embarking on a solo career in the mid-1980s. At the 1982 uh, BPI Brit Awards, Toya was nominated for British Breakthrough Act and Best Female Art Solo Artist. Toya was nominated a further two times in this category in 1983 and in 1984. Her hit singles include It's a Mystery, Thunder in the Mountains and I Want to Be Free. Wilcox was born in Kings Heath in Birmingham. Her father, Berwick Wilcox, ran a successful joinery business and owned three factories. Her mother, Barbara Joy Nirolson, was a professional dancer with whom he fell in love after seeing her on stage in Western Supermare with singing and comedy double acts Flanagan and Allen and married in 19 and married in 1949 barbara had to give up her career after giving birth to nicola born 1950 and kim who was born in 1953 wilcox's elder sister and brother respectively wilcox has suggested her first name should, could be in reference to toya texas or to a native american word toya meaning water although she notes her parents denied both origins wilcox enjoyed a financially comfortable childhood attending a private girls school but was bullied requiring physiotherapy for a spinal condition she behaved violently towards her mother whom she was close an absentee pupil and, and frequently rebellious she sat o levels a year late owing to corrective surgery on her feet she achieved one o level pass in music Alienated by her background and surroundings, her rebellious behaviour led to her shunning male company and adopting an aggressive and flamboyant identity. Her early interest in music, dance and acting combined with her alienation and her uncertainty regarding her sexuality led Wilcox to seek an outlet initially in acting and then in music. She attended the old rep drama school in Birmingham, paying privately because she was denied a grant because she was denied a grant and he assassinated she has a lisp and can't and isn't attractive she began working as a dresser in the local theatres including the Alexandra Birmingham and Birmingham Hippodrome because of her distinctive appearance and and gaudily dyed hair repertory actors refer to her as the bird of paradise a friend's suggestion that she could see Sex Pistols led to her being attracted to the punk movement, but she resolved to do better, travelling to London to make up a career in acting and music. After appearing as an extra in a, in a TV drama made at the BBC Pebble Mill Studios in Birmingham, an opening came to take a role in Glitter in 1976. 
a play in the BBC Second City First series, alongside Noel Edmonds and Phil Daniels. Recommended to the play's director by a member of the wardrobe department because of her distinctive appearance and oddball character, Wilcox was given the role for, of Sue, a girl who sang in a girl who sang with the band Bill by Baggins who uh, dreamed of appearing on Top of the Pops. In the course of the 30-minute play, Wilcox performed two songs she had co-written, Floating Free, an acoustic ballad with, with Phil Daniels accompanying her on guitar, and Dreammaker. The play was seen by uh, Katie Nedigan and Maximilian Schell, who offered her work with the National Theatre in London, where she got the part of Emma in Tales from the Vienna Woods, directed by Shale. The opening led to her relocating to London. In 1977, while playing Emma in Tales from the Vienna Woods in the National Theatre, Wilcox inspired her role as a musician in Glitter, fronted by a band called Toya, which featured Joe, Joel Bogan on guitar, Mark Henry on bass, Steve, Steve Bray on drums, Peter Bush on keyboards and herself on vocals. Having never considered herself a musician, she found herself fronting a successful band. Although still uncertain about her own sexuality and repelled by her bandmates' antics with groupies. Introduced by actor Ian Charleston to director Derek Jarman, Wilcox was offered any part you want in Jubilee called, called Down the Queen at the time. Played by Bugatti uh, issues, the, the film featured Wilcox as the murderous Mad, as well as the number of as well as a number of other prominent figures from the punk scene. She went on to play Monkey in the 1979 film of the Who's Quadrophilia, having been introduced to director Frank Rodman through an association with John Lydon. Wilcox demanded the part of Monkey from uh, Rodham. She completed filming despite requiring medical attention for pneumonia. The possibility of a role in, sex, in the Sex Pistols film The Great Rock and Roll Swindle under director Ross Mayer having fallen free, Wilcox went on to play Miranda in, in Jarman's film The Tempest, which won her a nomination as Best Newcomer in the 1980s event Evening Standard Awards, continuing a stage career alongside film work in 1979. On London's Royal Court Theatre stage, Wilcox played Sharon in Nigel Williams' Sugar and Spice, Tallulah in Stephen Polakoff's uh, American Days in the ICA, playing alongside Mel Smith, Anthony Shear and Phil Daniels, and taking a film role opposite Catherine Hepburn in the made-for-television film The Corners Green, directed by George Cocker. Wilcox found her dual careers as musician and actress frequently in conflict, leading to confusion as to which role constituted a compartment to put her into. Feeling her music career is not taken as seriously as her acting, she nevertheless viewed her acting role as highbrow, as highbrow and her music career as lowbrow. Married since 1986 to musician Robert Fripp, founder and guitarist of the progressive rock group King Crimson, the couple have no children and have arranged their wills so as to leave their entire fortune to the establishment of a musical educational trust for children. That's really good actually. In 1987, Wilcox was invited to make a speech at Women of the Year ceremony in the presence of Diana Princess of Wales, expressing her views on the subject of how being disabled incites creativity and craving for a fuller life experience. In 2002, she became, prominent, became a prominent opponent of planned accommodation centres for asylum seekers near the Worcestershire village of 
Torquemorton, protesting together with more than 1,000 villagers. In November 2007, Wilcox took on the role of sponsoring a black country urban park for the People's 50 Million Big Lottery Fund. In April 2008, she took part in the Great Walk to Beijing alongside other celebrities to raise money for Olivia Newton-John's cancer charity. So, we're going to go over her discography, her tours, her feature films, and TV appearances. Well, that's a lot of them. So, discography. Sheep farming in Barnet in 1980, the blue meaning in 1980, Anthem in 1981, the changeling in 1982, love is the law in 1983, minx in 1985, desire in 1987, prostitutes in 1988, Ophelia's shadow in 1991, take the leap in 1993, dream child in 1994, looking back in 1995, the acoustic album in 1996, Velvet Line Shout in 2003, In the Court of the Crimson Queen in 2008, and Posh Pop in 2021. So, on tour. 1979, The Resurrection Tour, 1979, Sheep Farming in Barnet Tour, 1980, Bird in Flight Tour, 1980, Layer Tour, 1981, College Tour, 1981, Anthem Tour, 1981, Good Morning Universe European Tour, 1982, Changeling Tour, 1982, Mini Tour, 1983, Rebel Run Tour, 1988, Frip Frip Tour, 1989, Sunday All Over the World Tour, 1993, Take the Leap Tour, 1984, Leap to Dream Tour, 1994, Acoustic Dream Child Tour, 1994, God Has God Ceased to Dream You Tour, 2002, Here and Now Tour, 2004, Best of the 80s Tour, 2006, The Hitmakers Tour, 2010, From Sheep Farming to Anthem, Classic Revisited Tour, 2012 the change in resurrection tour 2012 the change in resurrection 2 2013 love is the law and more tour 2014 crimson queen greatest hits live 2014 acoustic up close and personal 2014 north american tour with with the humans 2014 songs from the intergalactic ranch house and beyond 2015 loud proud and electric tour 2017 80s Invasion Tour, 2018 Toya 60 Tour, 2019 Thunder in the in Highland Scottish Tour, 2021 to 2022 po- Posh Pop Tour, 2022 Electric Ladies with Hazel O'Connor. Now her filmography. 1978 Jubilee is Mad, 1979 The Corn is Green with Bessie Wassey. 1979 The Tempest as Miranda, 1979 Quadrophilia as Monkey, 1981 Er, A Music War as Herself, 1984 Murder, The Ultimate Grounds for Divorce as Valerie Cunningham, 1984 The Ebony Tower as Anne the Freak, 1993 Anchoress as Pauline Carpenter, 1999 Judy and the Cadillacs as Barbara Gifford, 1999, The Most Fertile Man in Ireland as Dr. Johnson. 2011, The Power of Three as Michelle. 2015, ah! 2017, The Last Laugh. 2017, Lies We Tell. 2017, The Extremis. 
2017 the Apple Picker, 2018 Hound, 2019 Heckle, 2019 Invasion Planet Earth, 2020 to someone on post-production, 2020 Swipe Right as post-production, 2020 Dollhouse in production, 2020 Give Them Wings as Alice Hodgson and 2021 Ghost of Borley Rectory as Estelle Roberts. Now TV appearances, there's a lot here. So, 1976, Second City First as Sue. 1977, Three Piece Suite as Buzz. 1978, Premiere as Fran. 1979, The Quartermass Conclusion. 1980, Shawstring. 1980, A Question of Guilt. 1980, she was on an episode of Minder. 1982, ITV Playhouse. 1982, Animal Magic. 1982, Dear Heart. 1982, Tales of the Unexpected. Tales of the Unexpected. 1984, Pop Quiz. 1985, Function Room. 1985, Pob. 1987, The Grand Knockout Tournament. 1988, French and Saunders. 1988. Bodicea, 1990 Includo, 1990 The Tale of Little Pig Robinson, 1991 to 1994, 1991 through 1994 for Brum as the narrator, 1993 1998, Boys from the Black Country. 1998 through 1995, Nevermind the Buzzcocks. 1999, It's Slade. 1999, Barmy Aunt Boomerang. 2000, Doctors. 2002, Mr. Bean the Animated Series as additional voices. 2002, Rock Legends. 2002, Open House Panto Special. Nine, uh, 2005, Queen Mania. 2006, Proud Parents. 2007 through 2008, Secret Diary of a Cool Girl. 2007, Loose Women, but she was only on there once as a panellist. 2008, In Your Dreams. 2008, Living with the Dead. 2008, Celebrity Mastermind. 2008, Ready Steady Cook Celebrity Christmas Special. 2009, Psychic Therapy. 2009, Celeb Experiences. 2009 Hole in the Wall, 2009 Celebrity Brides, 2009 Celebrity Life Skills, 2009 The One Show, 2009 Episode of Casualty, 2010 Greatest Christmas TV Moments, 2010 Gale Tuesday, 2010 Greatest Christmas TV Ads, 2011 Celebrity Ghost Stories, 2012 The Women of Doctor Who, 2012 Doctor Who the best of specials 2013 the big fat quiz of the 80s 2013 all-star mr. and mrs 2013 three sides of the coin 2013 the power of three 2013 Don Punkin episode one boys will be boys 2014 splash 
2014 pointless 2014 who's doing the dishes 2015 doctor 2015 doctors 2016 the chase celebrity special 2018 celebrity mastermind 2020 celebrity catchphrase 2021 pointless celebrities 2021 celebrity tipping point 2021 britain's biggest 80s hits and 2021 britain's biggest 70 hits wow that's a lot and the two books that she's written is 2000 living out loud 2005 diary of a facelift wow now those are some serious serious credits and not many other people could do that much work not many people wow that's amazing we'll be back after this Anthology of Rage by Paul Collis from Master X Media. Anthology of Rage is split into four distinct sections. Each section was originally supposed to become a book in their own rights, but unfortunately the author never got round to finishing each project. He did feel though that these pieces of work were too good just to be forgotten about on his hard drive decided to put them all together in this anthology. Section 1 is a continuation of a tribute to Working at Sea, which with the last seven short stories written from the collection that didn't quite make volume 1 and 2, but were too good to be left unpublished. Section 2. Not quite short stories, but more rants that could be seen to be short stories about Christmas. Section 3. Monologues from the twisted mind of the author. And section 4 are poems based on the life experiences of the author. So a nice little eclectic mix of short stories and poems. Very interesting read. And if you like anger, this is a book for you. This book is available on paperback, hardback and ebook format on Amazon. So now we've had some of the backgrounds for uh, all our artists of tonight. And... The whole stage is now pretty much set up. They've done the sound checks for all three bands and they're just putting pl things into place, such as uh, drapage of the different band setups, so it's all covered up. But yeah, it's looking very good. Doing a quick flash through with all the lights on all on all trusses, as well as the uh, as well as the lights on the uh, dollies that have been positioned at the back of the stage behind the bridge walkway and the video screen is all fully powered up and going through a few sequences just to test it to see if it's running correctly and it does appear so one thing that i've noticed is that all the subs have been uh, taped well have been outlined on top for the edges uh, in fluorescent green tape and the ones on the ends stage left and stage right have a big x on there as in don't do not step on these ones i've got a funny feeling that billy idol will at some point step onto the subs in front of the stage so he's got one stage left you can go on and one stage right and if he wants to try and get on to the one with the front fills that's uh, more for him but I don't see that one happening because it's not much space on there, to be honest. And also you've got a flight case either side of it holding stuff for the Glaciator. But other than that, 
it was a pretty good and fast setup. It's really refreshing to know that you've got a tour that knows exactly what they're doing. Everything was rigged very, very quickly. They didn't hang around, they didn't drag the hills, they got in and within five hours the show was up and running fully. So that's not bad going, you know, not bad going at all. When we come back, we're going to take a look at how the actual performance went. So we'll be back after this. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Master X Media presents Lord of the Memes, Bad Dog, Farmer Frank's Filthy Fucking Farm, and Bonnie Bouncing Baby Bastards. All three of these books are meme books, and they come up with some pretty brutal and hilarious memes which are definitely not for children or the easily offended. These are ideal gifts for Secret Santa, Father's Day or even birthday presents for the fun loving man. So why not take a chance and make his day when he gets to read a lot of the memes meme book. All three books are available on Kindle, hardback and paperback on Amazon. And we're back. So, for uh, Toya, the back screen start. The back screen had a holding slide on there with a with a traditional red pleated curtain as uh, we were waiting for her to come out. And as the house lights went down, the uh, red draper logo holding slide, however you want to call it, that faded away, and there was a black screen with Toya's name and logo on there. And then the music started to uh, come up and as, to as soon as Toya walked out the crowd went wild and and she began to sing e Evening of Our Life and yeah it was full blown. She went real full blown on this one. So um, lighting wise there was no dedicated face light. And when I say face light, it would be white light that's on her face. It was all colour washers. And I suppose because she's not headlining, she didn't get the follow spots. It's as simple as that, really. Personally, I don't like that. I, put, I would personally put the follow spots on every act, just so you can see the face. Even if it's a light little glow on there. Obviously, because uh, they're not the, the headline, it won't be uh, more prominent. But just, uh, just enough to give a little tickle of light. Just like I used to uh, do on the follow spots on the Miserable all those years ago. You know, you just have a very faint tickle of light so their features just stood out. Right, but so that being said, let's continue. She had the uh, profile washing units on LX2, which is the upstage lighting bar. And she had a few of the uh, units on, on LX1, which was the first lighting bar on stage and the mold phases on those were occasionally used they weren't used that much though and she had a few uh, wash units covering the stage from uh, the front of the house bar so FRH1 and it looks good actually although it was pretty limited because the uh, limited uh, amount of lights that she was uh, she had access to by being the first support and it's just how it goes I say this time and time again at the end of the day the kit belongs to Billy Idol and you get what you're given when you're a support artist that's just how it goes unless you bring your own kit on top of Billy Idol's kit as well but hey 
you can't always be winners and if you don't want to spend the money then you don't want to spend the money and, and that's your prerogative at the end of the day artists like Toya they're great they don't need gimmicks of expensive lights and gadgets and whatnot because their work speaks for itself to finish off the light in that section it was all the lights were in this, always in the same position but every song had a different uh, well it had a different color you know, different color combinations, different gobo com combinations, a little bit of rotation on the gobos from time to time, and a bit of flashing in time with the music. And that's pretty much your lot on that one. Uh, it's just... It just is what it is at the end of the day. When you've got a limited amount of lighting rig, you've got to use what you've got to use, and, and that's essentially it. Right, so sound-wise, the first song lacked clarity. I mean, it seriously lacked clarity. But by the time the second song had started, the clarity had a massive improvement. So, and there's a reason for this, and that's because there weren't that many people in the audience at the time of the show going up. Now, why wasn't there? Well, the doors opened up at half six, and Toya was on at seven o'clock, so she didn't have that many people in there to start with. So the sound would have all been out of whack because it was programmed for a full arena. And that's what you do, you aim to calibrate it for a full arena. But because there was no full arena and there's a lot of echo and whatnot because there are people, not enough people there to absorb the sound, it lacked the clarity. So once the sound engineer had wrestled with this fact and wrestled and did a bit of tweaking, the clarity was there. It was a superb quality, superb clarity, and I wouldn't say it was 22 karat gold. It was definitely 18 karat gold standard. That's how I would define it. So it wasn't the most clear, but from uh, the second song onwards, it was a massively sharp, marked improvement. And that's what you like to. See. That's what I like to see. Yes, fair enough. The first song didn't go down to, as planned, but it still got worked on and and fair play to the sound operator he, he was really good after wrestling that first song and sometimes it happens it's unavoidable because you can't help the acoustics if uh, there isn't enough people to absorb sound and create all the echo and you and the loss of clarity now as an artist Toya was great she was great with that first song, yet again, uh, she was struggling a little bit until it was all put under control. But she didn't lose her nerve. No, she did not lose her nerve one bit. It didn't throw her whatsoever. She understood that the sound engineer was having a bit of a bad moment, but she could hear it getting improved at, throughout that first song. And come the second song, Toya sounded superb. She had the power where she needed the power. She had the high notes where she needed the high notes. She had the low notes where she needed the low notes. She had absolute control over her vocal abilities, which is superb to hear, especially from someone of her age. Now, I don't want to sound ageist here, but sometimes when you get older performers, they don't have the vocal range. They, it's, a, it's a fact. Pavarotti lost a, a bit of vocal ability in his latter years and he he admitted it. he would be the first to admit it so like, i can't hit those notes no more it's just not physically possible because of his age and 
and a few other factors as well like lifestyle and whatnot because Pavarotti was uh, it wasn't exactly a slender person but I digress a bit and same with Blondie but with Blondie she, uh, she understood that she lost certain bits of vocal ability but she adapted the songs around it and it was still a strong performance whereas when you compare those two artists with Toya yeah I'm guessing she would have had to have uh, adjusted her vocal ability slightly but to me she hadn't lost any vocal ability from the CD uh, copies of the songs that I've heard over the years because I am an 80s child myself so I would have heard a load of her stuff which I have as we went through her uh, work from early on in the podcast I didn't even realise that she was a voice on uh, Teletubbies, but hey, doesn't matter. She had a great, stunning performance, and the audience enjoyed this performance. They were clapping, they were applauding. In some cases, they were bouncing for the old, for being an older, an older, for being an older audience. They're bouncing around pretty good, actually. It was a great show to watch, and Toya did really, really well. The audience loved her and that's what you need you need a a very enthusiastic older musician and singer like toya and she there she she she, and she commanded that audience really well she enjoyed herself and she had a real not only a strong not only did she have a strong vocal performance but she had a really strong stage presence as well and it was all the little things as well to, which in, which added to the show because she is at the end of the day an amazing showman and no one could take that away from her and I was actually privileged to see such a strong performance although it was a little bit short because of the two support acts and the timings of the show so we had a nice treat a very brief but nice treat and this treat was 30 minutes long and well done to Toya because she was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Right, so let's move swiftly on to kill it to the killing joke. Well, it's an interesting one, I have to say, a very interesting one. I don't recall many killing joke songs, and to be honest, well, let's get on it. Let's get on it. So the house lights went down, and yet again they had the uh, curtain holding slide which uh, went black at the start of the show and their logo came on the screen and then lighting wise there was a bit of a mistake right at the top of the show it just seemed like the lighting operator who was actually a different lighting operator to uh, Toya I have to say they had a different lighting operator for every uh, artist uh, artist in the show tonight so um, how can I put this in a nice way the lighting operator kind of like got lost from uh, what was going on and the reason for this is the preset before the killing joke came out you had reds on the drums you had the congo blue which is essentially a fake uv purple so it's got the same color of uv but uh, it's not going to give you skin cancer i digress and the lighting operator, as they come out, went from that state to strobing whites where nothing was happening and then back again and strobing whites and back again. I think the lighting operator kind of hit the wrong scene on the lighting desk 
and uh, it took a few seconds for the operator to work out what's gone on and it got corrected that being said though the rest of the uh, show's lights were actually pretty good and it's just a uh, schoolboy error in my opinion but an error nonetheless so the rest of the show all the lights focus on the downstage centre portion of the stage and the band didn't really move around at all they had no face light again they just had the uh, wash units from, from front of house one just like Tyre did no, they had LX1 and 2 which are the bars above the stage and they also had the units that were on top of the dollies at the back of the stage just behind the bridge although they were not up on the bridge and that is pretty much it that they had for the lighting so yet again every song had a different colour well a different colour combination and they had a bit more movement than Toya did so not only did they have the uh, static looks you had the different gobos and they rotate the gobos a lot more strub the gobos a lot more strub the units a lot more flashed them around and then they actually scanned them into the audience as well they also had all the units on uh, front of house one which Toya didn't have she only had she only had the wash units at the front there's also a load of profile units which uh, they had pointing into the audience constantly just lighting up the audience in the in the same style as what was going on, on the stage so they, they essentially made the uh, audience part of the show sound wise there was no clarity whatsoever but then again that's the style of the band that's how I worked it out to be uh, it also doesn't help that it is hard to give metal clarity you have to be a very seriously skilled uh, engineer to get metal and hard rock post punk etc to be as clear as possible it, you're not going to get it it's not the style of uh, genre it's not there for clarity it's there to make their point and this point is set to music couldn't understand exactly what most of the point was because it was a bit muffled and I actually did struggle to hear the vocals uh, some of the times which is just a style of the uh, band that they are as the Killing Joke actually started performing I was expecting circle pits to open up you know a bit of moshing and then I instantly realized that's not gonna happen because most of the audience are in their 50s yeah and and I'll say 50s, 50s, 60s and 70s we had a lot of people in here so there would be no mosh pits which is a bit of a shame because it would have been interesting to see some uh, moshing going on in there no circle pits no, there wasn't even bounce, people bouncing up and down that often they did get a re okay reception though from the audience I would have expected a bit more but with the audience being static and just watching the stage cheering here and there but yeah they just didn't have the kind of reception that I'd expect them to have maybe it's the age of the audience but after Toya's uh, performance where they were up and lifted they just the energy just fell a little bit flat which is a shame really it was a shame because so, you know, the Killing Jake are a Marmite kind of band and whereas I'm not really a fan of them you know I don't like this kind of Marmite and other people did and there was a big mix of people that loved the Marmite and 
didn't really care for the Marmite in tonight's show, which was a pity because you'd like to think that people would have turned up specifically for some of the uh, support acts. But that's just how it goes from time to time. You can't always be a winner. We'll be back after this. A tribute to men that hate their jobs is a brutal but witty portrayal of working a job you hate. In this podcast, there are themes explored in which happy workers simply wouldn't understand unless they listen to these cautionary tales from a man that lost his ideal job because of the global pandemic. Be warned that this podcast contains strong, offensive language that some listeners may not want to hear. In addition, this podcast is definitely not recommended for younger audiences. The links for this is in the description below. And we're back. So, once again, just before anything happened, the red drape on the screen appeared again. And as it was coming off, this time round, instead of just fading down and going to black, and then having the artist's name there, the curtains opened up. Yay, they opened up like a good old-fashioned uh, Venetian uh, drape. Nice and pleated. Anyways, let's uh, get back on with this. And you had Billy Idol's name up on a uh, cityscape, which looks pretty 80s movie style, I have to say. Anyways, so just before that happened, though, the uh, lights came up on the stage, and the bridge was pre had a uh, preset of Congo blue. And everything else was red. And when the house lights went down and the intro started, which I have to say, I think it lasted about a minute, but I never timed it. And you had a load of instrumental noises, which seemed interesting. It's not as if it's not been done before, because it had. Yeah, I've seen many things like that before. But anyways, I digress. So the drums started up and as I said uh, the uh, curtain graphic opened up revealing uh, Billy Idol's logo. And Billy Idol entered from upstage left in the quick change area which I ended up having to build that for the production team because they forgot to bring their own masking for some reason. But it's not a problem, you know, at the end of the day. I had the spare equipment and it took me all the 10 minutes to build that for the uh, production team and they needed it so that's just how it goes at the end of the day and so Billy, Billy Idol came out from the uh, quick change area up the uh, steps onto stage left of the bridge and he started singing as soon as he got to centre stage like a true professional because he is a true professional. Right. So, lighting-wise for the whole show, it was very fluid and it was constantly on the move and evolving. There was a very significant evolution to that lighting. And it, and what I mean by that is, every song just kept flowing into a different lighting effect, different pattern, nothing was repeated. Well, a lot of people tend to cheat. They'd, uh, they'd have the positions of the lights recorded on what's called a palette. So you press the palette button and uh, the lights will 
go to that back to that default position that you've recorded and then you just change the gobo the color etc etc and to the untrained eye it looks like a completely different lighting state when in fact it's not but as i was saying though the uh, lighting was evolving constantly it's very fluid nothing got repeated to my knowledge that i noticed and i noticed a lot because i'm a lighting sound engineer by trade but i digress um <laughs> it, it just constantly flowed uh, no section of a song went back it just carried on evolving and tweaking and it looked really amazing really amazing so they went for some subtle stage washes which were mainly white you had uh, the odd bits of color here and there when it was required and most of it was uh, planned on intricacy so you had so many different gobo effects and and it was those effects that were deliberately lighting the stage and lighting the audience so it just didn't get bled out by uh, what by a different light or whatnot and you always saw the effects coming from the lights and one thing that i noticed as well is billy idol always had a follow spot on him in fact he always had two follow spots on him one from stage left one from stage right i say stage left and stage right it's house left and house right so house left is stage right and house right is stage left okay right let's let's clear this up yes you always go from the stage perspective you always do but sometimes you have to refer to the house because you're on the other side of the building so you're opposite the stage anyways that's how it goes i always tend to go by the stage side not auditorium side and i've digressed again now the sound wow the sound was crystal clear i mean it was it wasn't quite 22 karat gold now in fact i would say it was 22 karat gold quality sound you couldn't you couldn't fault it and with this type of music being post-punk and whatnot it was a bit it could have been a fight to get the sound sounding incredibly clear but hey they billy idol had a really good and i would say expensive sound operator because he could mix that guy really could mix and it had such a lovely clear sound to it definitely a minimum of 22 carats clarity although i wouldn't quite say it was platinum quality but still it was very very close so how did the fans like the show well that's a bloody stupid question i have to say such a stupid question because they loved it the uh, older people in this audience who i said who i would say is on average 53 years of age depending well that's what it would average out as though i don't have an exact figure i'm sure that uh, if someone told me from the office they would be able to give us the true demographic of sales etc but hey it doesn't matter i've digressed again right so billy idol he had a huge mix of his classic songs and his new songs and new songs from this year the, in, in, in the year of our lord 2022 billy idol had songs from 2022 and that's good because it's not often that you see an older entertainer like billy idol 
uh, doing new material because people just want to hear the old stuff. But at the end of the day, it's Billy Idol. He can do whatever Billy Idol wants. And we didn't even know the set list until it was pretty much going. All I got told is uh, <laughs> expect the show to be between 75 and 90 minutes. There may be an encore, there may not be. He may do some songs and he might not do others. That's all we were told. He kept that set list for tonight top secret. And I don't even think half the band knew what songs they were playing. They just played them because they know all the songs inside out as a true professional band would. How was he received? Well, every song, a big, big round of applause. They loved him. And if you were a Billy Idol fan and you got to see this show, you got given one of the best treats money could get you and even if you weren't a Billy Idol fan like you got dragged along by your other half it was still a good show and I'm sure that anyone any non-fan that was in the building today they definitely definitely would have loved this show as well something for everyone I have to say something for everyone if you like today's podcast, please hit like, subscribe and share. And if you haven't already done so, why not check out more content from Master X Media by clicking the link in the description below. And we shall catch you next time. Bye for now.